Chicago is more fucked up than any 10 things I've seen in my life. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you pose that question in the form of a lie. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, The Trial of the Chicago 7. I guess you could call us the New York 2. The Queens 2. The Astorian 2. We're the two queens! We are uh, the two, two queens. queens. That would be our sitcom name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're, uh, two, we're not the two dope queens. We are just the two queens. No, yeah. no, we are. You drop the 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 preemptive praise. Yeah, and the two dumb can, queens. You can make your own judgments <laughs> on what adjectives should be thrown in front of our queen's sitcom name. Yeah, email us in onlymoviepodcast@gmail.com. What do you think Shahir and I's sitcom name, either in the <laughs> reference space that we just designed or your own, would be? And we'll read your selections on the show. I guess my only my only one in my brain right now is the dumbest podcast of all time, right? <laughs> that you think that's our sitcom That'd name? That'd be a sitcom name. No, because it'd be like irreverent about what it is we do. The dumbest podcast sure. of all time. I want to say something. Uh, <laughs> we are definitely oh. not the dumbest podcast well, of all time. We are we are we are dumb. <laughs> yeah. And we do dumb stuff. But there is <laughs> there is such a breadth of podcasts. Uh, have you ever just gone random? Have you ever just searched a word and listened to a podcast about it? No, you know what's really bad is my podcast cycling has become really uh, um, predictable. Like, I, mm. there's just my go-tos. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm not. I'm, I'm too old for this shit. I can't Whoa. be. I can't be cycling through other podcasts. I mean, it is pretty fun though. Uh, I, I, I really, uh, I love just searching a word <laughs> and just finding a random dumb thing. Yeah. Um, but, but it, it's also that thing where uh, I think there are a lot of podcasts, and then, and you you get a sense of a podcast quality immediately. Like as soon as you as soon as you listen in the first like five seconds, you're kind of like, oh boy. Yeah, we fall somewhere in the <laughs> mid tier, the, the low to mid tier of quality. I think. Um, in fact, I'm actually going to I, I think bring our show one day over and see uh, what Nebula thinks of it. To you know, let us know their opinion, see how exactly yeah. we're doing. You know, I'll just be like, check out, out our dumb podcast. podcast. <laughs> I yell really loud in the beginning, which is a sign of professionalism in well, the space. So wait for a podcast audit, and again, listen in if you want to do this, uh, and email us in your podcast audit form at onlymoviepodcast at gmail For a podcast audit, like how many episodes would you have to listen to to sufficient? audit a podcast oh i have no idea that's not yeah. my job uh i mean and I, would it be like is it a based on a three of how many episodes probably you, three you think three episodes i think i think you can get a sense of what a podcast is in three a, a fully fair depiction if you just randomly select three episodes from a podcast's back catalog <laughs> um because yeah, I, I think one is kind of unfair because yeah. if you randomly pick, then one would be okay if if we picked the episode to yeah. give someone. But if people just went in d deep dove and just like went like, oh, I think I want to watch uh, Colossal uh, and listen to that. Good episode, like, I, by the way. Good episode. Is it? I don't remember. <laughs> I hope it was. I love that movie. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, you, by the way, you name drop Nebula in there uh, just uh, very briefly. Could you explain to the peoples uh, so sorry. What, what you <laughs> what it is you do on Nebula and I'm what so Nebula sorry. is and uh, and everything that Nebula uh, has to encompass in that one single name drop? <laughs> uh, Extra credits just joined the Nebula family, which is a by creators for creators streaming platform uh, that you can get. There's a bunch of different deals, etc. Um, that is actually like it teamed up with uh, Curiosity Stream, which I'm sure you've heard about on other podcasts. 
as well. Yep. Uh, again, this is not an advertisement, so I'm going to stop there. But they're <laughs> a real good group of creators that I love being a part of. Just side note, real quick, this podcast not associated with Nebula. Uh, <laughs> this however, podcast is brought to you by our partners. <laughs> I, in form of Matt from Extra Credits, am part of Nebula. But, but regardless, great service. I actually really, really like it. There's so many cool... I mean, like, Lindsay Ellis is one of the founders, I believe. Um... Uh, legal legal tier zoo bunch of bunch of folks so yeah uh, and i actually uh, I, I looked up uh legal legal for this week's episode because he did an actual uh historical context and legal analysis of the uh, trial of chicago seven so yeah he uh, did a lot of uh, media stuff a while ago but basically before before the shit storm that was trump there was a lot of legal media analysis which i love so go yeah. check out legal League. he's also on youtube check him out he's a he's a real he's a real good guy <laughs> real good guy another real good guy who decided to email us in this week was steve who uh, we have talked to uh, a while back, I believe was an assistant editor on the film I, Tanya, which we reviewed uh, Steve because he just wanted us to show how good he was. We know what you're up to, Steve. Hey, we know we, what you do. We know what you do. <laughs> uh, but Steve says, such a coincidence that I happen to be listening to your review of The Way Back on March 30th, exactly one year from when I wrote you to about uh, your Austin Powers review. Oh. I just had you read, and I just heard you read my email. So I had to give a, uh, give a thanks and say hi. Uh, I know you don't review television. That's right. But Steve. That'd be a a different named (laughs) podcast. But Steve, uh, dropping names like you are, I, uh, and this is me being Steve right now, by the way, but I have been working on The Mandalorian since moving out to LA and would love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, What's crazy to me is how this show is on a scale that competes with features. It is only available on your television screens and that we can never see with an audience. I can't say I've expected this to happen in the film industry, although now it seems it's always the way, uh, hitting that way ever since Netflix started streaming their content i hope this doesn't mean the end of movie theaters because i really miss going to the movies i'm sure you both feeling the same way are they ever reopening the regal and the Storyer, or has it been closed for good take care and keep up the reviews thank you steve i will dig in the name drops but i appreciate the emails thank you very much uh i believe the astoria is going to be opening like next week or the following or something. Yeah, they, have a, actually, they have a soon schedule. Yeah, it's opening, I think, uh, very shortly uh, for anyone who is a story, a local, Queens local. <sighs> Point being made here, though, is I will not be going, even though I've had my first dose of vaccine, and I believe you've had your second dose of vaccine. I had my second one yesterday. Well, okay, now, um, so I'm half vaccinated. Matt, you are you are fully protected. Well, uh, well no, you're not actually. Protected. By the way, yeah. uh, my wife is a is a biochemist and and understands this much more. And, and and there is a lot of subtle nuances to the protection offered by vaccines. Suffice yes. to say, it's great that you have been vaccinated, Matt. Will you, as a vaccinated human being, go to the movies? I don't think so yet. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the thing: I want to show my support with my dollars. Mm-hmm. I don't want to watch a movie. I just don't. A, I don't. It, it feels. I'm gonna have to go back sometime. Yeah. Um, but like, I like snacking during a movie and that's going to be annoying with a mask. Like, uh, and I'm not going to take the mask off. Yeah. Like, I don't, uh, I I think as well, one thing to take into consideration in New York right now is the numbers are going up as opposed to down. Um, and I, and I would take that into consideration with whatever, whatever decision you're making about, uh, your life post-vaccination or even pre-vaccination. 
I gotta tell you, what what I'm what I'm excited about post vaccination is the best parts of my life before this all happened. Now, movies was a specific thing that was great, and I think it's the one thing that's gonna come back way slower than the others. But I've sort of uh, graduated from like wanting to go to like giant parties and things in New York anyway. Like often, I don't feel like doing that. However, you know what I like doing? Playing fucking tabletop role playing games with like six or seven people in my house. <laughs> that will be nice once everyone in that group is vaccinated. Like there there. There's, there's like there's the ability to be the, the the type of social that I like being yeah. will open up much faster than the stuff that I was kind of being like I mean I guess I could go to this event but like uh, <laughs> I so, yeah, yeah. I'm I've, I I fell off the uh, big party train a long long time ago uh, I think the thing I'm most excited for is uh, getting a haircut <laughs> getting a haircut yep. and getting a beard yep. trim. I've never had a beard mm-hmm. before, so I've been rocking this on my own. Wait, you've never had a beard before? Never had a beard. I've had a goatee, but not a beard. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. 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 Never had a beard before. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I gotta say, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. There are times when I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like struck by like what it's like. Something has happened. I look like a damaged human being. Like something has happened to me. Uh, my, you know, like this is not. You know, it it, it it's taken its toll. You were always before this very well kept. Um, and not to say that you look bad now by any means of the imagination, but you do look different. Yeah. And I think it's because of the poofy factor that is now surrounding the entirety of your head. Yeah, I'm. Uh, what's the character in So I Married Next Minute? Take a look at his head. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's got its own orbit. And normally, like, your hair was all, like, had a nice, like, bouffant or, like, a quaff. I don't know what that thing's called. but it's Fry like the, from Futurama. The, the Jimmy Neutron sort of, like, curl upward, and it's always nice and trimmed. And, yeah, but now, now I mean. Now uh, it is what it is. Okay, let's go back to Steve's email just real quickly. We will get to the trial of the Chicago 7 and eventually on this podcast, which might be a sign of good podcasting. I don't know. If you're auditing us, please disregard is. the last 10 minutes. Uh, have you watched <laughs> The Mandalorian? I yes, have not. I've watched. You haven't seen any of it. I have not seen any of the Mandalorian. Wow. What what does what that a, make me a what pariah? A, what a fucking loser you are. No. <laughs> what a freak. <laughs> um, I've seen both seasons of Mandalorian. Yeah. I loved it quite intensely and I'm not a huge any like really right now in my life a huge Star Wars person, mm-hmm. but I I think it was the natural progression to what I kind of wanted Star Wars to be. Yeah. Um I like the world that's not surrounded with the Jedi and then you take that world and then every once in a while you sprinkle in a Jedi and it makes it really interesting. Hmm. Um as opposed to a trough of 30 Jedi fighting a bunch of CGI bugs in the middle of a Roman Colosseum. So uh, the Mandalorian, especially from the quality perspective, and Steve, I 100% agree with this, it is off the charts. Hmm. Like, it just looks like a Star Wars movie. The ne- never have I been watching that and been like, oh, I see the corners cut. Right. Like, even even in well, like... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, the, and actually, the, the, the Disney Plus shows hmm. have been the first time where I have not really been able to see that. Like, even shows that I like in the same nerdy genres, like The Boys, yeah. right? I see the I see the seams where yeah. they can't afford to do a thing, so they do a thing. I really got to say, Mandalorian in particular, 
the 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 production management and and the way they make that show must be so on point because oh, well I could t- let me tell you about that there's actually a really interesting thing uh, with the production of the Mandalorian and again I have not seen the show uh, but I've been so taken by this because uh, well, it, when I uh, first went to the American Museum of Natural History I um, went to the um, the diorama section uh-huh. and and have you ever been there where they basically you know mm-hmm. they have the lit mm-hmm. dioramas and I took some photos while I was there I snuck in I had a little tripod I took a, took some photos of my friend. Like, you put sticks down? I put sticks down. I was You're like, You're only really supposed sneaky. to use a monopod. They can actually arrest you if you put sticks down. I mean, I got away with it. And now I'm wow. d- now I've got a disguise, so I'm hoping that they don't catch up. The Lord they doesn't will catch never up find with you. Yeah. Um but uh, the thing I noticed is that when you put uh, a person in front of a diorama, they're lit naturally by the diorama. So it looks yes. like so the the problems that you have with compositing in terms of matching lighting instantly goes away. And yep. essentially the Mandalorian operates under a very similar but more technologically advanced principle, which is that they use a set of giant LED screens yes. um, behind the performers. So they build out the kind of the floor of the set and then they have this sort of like giant wall of LED screens. And then the amazing thing is that they use Unreal Engine to build out the sets that go up behind, which they can modify yep. in real time. And because the Mandalorian is wearing ultimately a shiny metal yeah. suit, yeah. all the reflections, all the natural sort of lighting of the LED screen get projected onto his suit. Um, and and so uh, while I'm sure there are cases of rotoscoping and 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 you know, cha- you know maybe they even flip it out over to a green screen at times when they don't have the background ready. Um, in fact, Steve's, you know, we have someone who actually works on the show could probably inform us of the of the, the little details here, um, could probably tell us about that. But but just the amazing thing is that the camera can almost move in 360 degrees or at least 180 degrees. Um, you're not bound by your by your compositing uh, limitations anymore. Uh, it's uh, it's so clear. And like uh, since this has happened, I've seen little pop up studios basically offering this around the planet as like a solve that they can do. And it's just, it's kind of amazing because as a cinematographer, as a director, you can kind of forget about the technological limitations. Like, okay, I've got to shoot in this direction because I've got to light with this and yada, yada, yada. You're kind of going, well, you're, you're seeing the result as you're doing it, which is pretty amazing. Um, and it might contribute to the, you know, the, the, the thing that you're sort of saying, which is, it looks amazing. Uh, again, yeah, I have it, not seen the show. <laughs> it seems hyper immersive that that's a big reason why, um, the, the reflection on the armor is a big deal, but, but like, it's also just like, it's a good tight show. It yeah. never out, it never outstays. It's welcome. Uh, there's, there's actual moments of like worry and like drama and a bunch of things and again baby yoda's 100 percent to to blame for that i mean like you 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 need the badass and a child and you pretty much have me right. at least in a in a uh in a sense i mean i mean i yeah i've still yet to play uh uh, God of Boy or Dad of Boy or whatever the new God of War game right, is nicknamed. Right, right. I actually have but, it, but I've not finished it. So, uh, yeah. But like, I don't know. I'm a sucker for all that. Anyway, love yeah. the Mandalorian. Um, I would love to go into detail about it, but that's not what this podcast is about. No, this podcast is specifically about Aaron Sorkin's film, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which, as we have noted, uh, was nominated for Best Picture this year, among uh, several other awards. Um, Matt, could you tell us what the IMDb description, what Mr. I- Mr. or Mrs. IMDb has written about The Trial of the Chicago Seven? The story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Now, there is a lot of historical context to this movie, many of w- much of which 
I was unaware of. I think one thing we can kind of note right off the bat that's a lot of fun uh, <laughs> is that we are living in the Fred Hampton cinematic universe at this stage with the Best Picture nominees. And right. Fred Hampton obviously is the center of Judas and the Black Messiah and appears in this film in a fairly prominent role. And there's that yes. sort of delightful moment where uh, having not known much about Fred Hampton prior to seeing Judas and the Black Messiah, then watching Judas and the Black Messiah, then watching The Trial of Chicago 7, when, when Fred Hampton pops in, there's a delightful moment going... I understood that reference. I know who that person is. I think we watched them in the correct order. Yeah, exactly. Because it would be, I, I mean, I guess you could you could argue it would be interesting to, to, in a way, have a movie of every single one of these characters and like one of them happened to be Fred Hampton and you go off and watch that movie. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, also many- these are historical tales too. So it's not like we didn't know the thing already, but like from, I was just talking from a narrative perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, so there's a kind of delightful sort of moment when you're watching this, of course, the story of Fred Hampton and what happened to him as described as depicted in Judas and the black Messiah is fairly horrific. I'm not suggesting any way that it wasn't. I just, <laughs> yeah. just, just that thing of like being able to, you know, like in one night in Miami, for example, right now, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali pop up and, you know, we've seen uh, both, representations of the of those people in their own feature films so it's a sort of a wonderful thing to be able to like watch those movies having that context in the back of your head your brain gets the dopamine hit when you recognize a thing or a pattern and that is what happened <laughs> of so, course yes as you mentioned uh when we did our judas and the black messiah speech this would of course all be moot if we had been educated well but as we've noted we are the dumbest <laughs> podcast ever made so we'll no, just go with no that. we are just a dumb podcast i'm uh, telling not, you not the dumbest I'm, yeah you're right you're right well, see i'm not dumb you. i'm not smart enough to recognize the distinction between those two things so you know I here we are. okay all right here we are indeed shahir what what did you think about this film uh, as sort of a, as a starting point? Like hmm. what 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 um, were you struck by anything particular uh, outside of the Aaron Sorkinness of it all? Well, I kind of I mean I guess I wanted to frame it around Aaron Sorkin, but maybe you're okay. right. Maybe, maybe no no maybe we should kind of just talk about first impressions and then get to the Aaron Sorkinness of it all. Because there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of Sorkin speaking. Um yeah. uh, look, I I think there's a the, the Trial of the Chicago 7 as a story is not something I'm particularly familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it seeing its depiction is, you know, as you were kind of talking about with Judas and the Black Messiah is always powerful because it allows us to engage with a piece of history that is um you know that may have been forgotten for well for me i I, you know speaking for myself is something that i had not you know sort of known much about Mm -hmm. and of course um as we reflect upon the last four years and you know ongoing uh political climate it's hard not to see parallels uh of what happened with the chicago seven and what is happening now uh in in america as we speak it's in fact what's really interesting is i think that this movie was made the sort of immediate political ramifications that you could kind of draw from this film was Mm -hmm. the George Floyd protests. Um, You know, like that's when this film actually came out and that's when, you know, um, uh, what, what had been the the most immediate uh, political focal point, perhaps even the, 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 the woman's right, uh, woman's March as well. But then uh, January 6th happened. And it's weird because I feel like this is the exact, um, the the exact movie to draw the wrong messages from 
for the Capitol rioters. You know, like I feel like the people that 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 stormed the Capitol would watch this and see a reflection of their own revolutionary action. Oh, as they, as, interesting. As, as they would consider revolutionary actions. Oh, yuck. And, and watch this movie as a vindication of that. Now that what's what's interesting about what I'm just all of that is is to say that that um, we live in such an unusual time right now that that I think the the messages of this film, despite coming from a very notable you know notable liberal figure uh, and very much not in favor of uh, the Capitol rioters, um, you know th- this movie could be warped and 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 brought upon in that way. Um, we, when we discussed Judas and the Black Messiah, I also feel like a little bit of an asshole because I think one of the things I said in Judas and the, in our discussion of Judas and the Black Messiah is that I wish that that film felt like it took a little more liberties with the central relationship in that film in order to make it, um, connect, uh, cinematically so that, you know, right. from a filmmaking point of view, ignoring history, um, that there was a little bit more of a sort of, uh, s- connection between the two lead characters so that I understand, you know, and, but, you know, you and I both talked about that on that episode. And, we, and I think we both said that what we're pitching is the worst version of this film. We're pitching, hey, I didn't want that. Yeah. 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 We're sort of saying it because it felt like it was missing, but ultimately we understood that that was the well, worst. Well, I never said that. Well, you said that. I said that. <laughs> you and, keep saying we. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't we. <laughs> There's no I in we. There's no yeah. only podcast in we. Um, there is an I in pie. <laughs> um, um, but... And, and and the reason I feel like an asshole about it because this film obviously takes liberties with history and it's very telling and it doesn't work. There are moments in this film. <laughs> <laughs> there are moments in this film. I mean, the end of the film, which we have, we will you know talk about in explicit spoilers, is a, obviously a manufactured moment. And while there are some elements of truth to it, it's a it's a it's arrangement in this film is entirely fabricated and feels fabricated it feels completely um saccharine and manufactured in all the wrong ways so what the problem with it um you know if we if we're sort of getting into the topic of histriosity in cinema like the idea that that the the way in which cinema plays with history in order Mm to meld the truth but creating its own truth um, I have no issue with bending the truth or coming up with your own sort of version of the truth. However, because I can't handle the truth. The Aaron Sorkin is someone who can't necessarily handle the truth. No, no. I, I. By the way, we will get into the Aaron Sorkinness of this. I love Aaron Sorkin. Um, but this movie rings false. Is the problem? Is that uh, whereas Judas and the Black Messiah kind of didn't quite connect to me, it never rang untrue. And this is a movie that aims to connect with me, but rings untrue. And, and I kind of, there were moments in the, there are many masterful moments in this movie, but all often undone in one or two scenes later. Um, interesting for, for me. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting case because while I appreciated learning and seeing the story, I think I felt short, uh, uh, I felt shortchanged by the way in which the story ultimately began to resolve itself. Hmm. Okay. How about you, Mr. Kroll? Uh, so here's the deal. I really dug it, mm-hmm. um, but I dug it in the way that I dig um, sort of like B-movies. <laughs> like B-movie with, uh, with Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah, exactly like <laughs> the B-movie with Jerry Seinfeld. No, I mean like, okay, I, I was talking about this today. Um 
like, because the new Mortal Kombat's coming out. It got pushed a week, Sheer, so we got to change our whole schedule. But um, I always posit that the first Mortal Kombat film is the best video game adaptation movie ever made. Um, and I can go into reasons why, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter. The, the reason, but I like Mortal Kombat, the movie, because, like, it's it's both bad and good. Like, it's cheeseball. <laughs> But it's like it's aimed at me to be cheeseball. It gives me the feeling of the game, but it's obviously there's a real shitbox CG lizard that they have to fight that pops out of a wall. Like there's lines like those are five hundred dollars sunglasses, asshole. And like I love that stuff. But if I look at it outside of the lens of like, oh, what what do I get the joy juices from? I'm like, (laughs) this movie's pretty bad. So weirdly enough. A lot, uh, and I don't. I won't get into the Sorkinness, the the Sorkin verse. Um, a lot of Aaron Sorkin stuff for me feels that way because it's basically like liberal porn. I'm not the first person to drop that sort of uh, terminology, I believe, for mm-hmm. him. So, but when I was watching this movie, I was all about like everything, right? Because like it it turned a historical thing that I didn't know too much about into a up and down roller coaster ride of of uh, of liberal viewpoints fighting for what was right and getting wins and losses and wins and losses and then sends me off on a final singing point of like uh, they sure didn't win but they stuck it to the man <laughs> and then they kind of win in the end and then great it's like a it's like a perfectly encapsulated feel good moment for uh, turning a historical frown upside down. Hmm. Uh, I will also use the term that you hate for this film hmm. I, it, I think this movie is quite Oscar bait it's a hmm. historical it's a historical thing but it's also but it's also Matt bait like <laughs> and, and, and it's Wait, one of those I, times where are we interchanging uh, Oscar and Matt crawl yes <laughs> yes so so like it's 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 designed for people like me liberal people that like fast smart things that can really get into the popcorn munching of it and forget about, at least in the moment, the historical inaccuracies of what we are seeing. <laughs> so you're just stuffing your face with popcorn and just going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, I mean, this, me. is a, this is a historical <laughs> time that has been turned into a popcorn flick. And, and, and uh, there's pros and cons to that. There's, there's obviously troubles with it, but mm-hmm. in the moment of watching it, I was like... Laughing and upset and feeling good and bad and disappointed and on the ride with the characters, but I can look at it from a from a from a macro view uh, and sort of be like, well, yeah, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, and here's a Sorkin thing, mm-hmm. and like I, I don't know, like I can I can dissect it and turn it into a, oh, this isn't that great, but I don't want to, <laughs> like so, and I will I will as we talk about it, but like I do want to say that my upfront reaction was like. This is good. I like this. But when you look at it upon further, you know, a a, a more uh, stringent lens or, um, you know, trying to look at the different pieces of it. And if you're trying to judge it on historical accuracy and wanting to get into the conversation of, well, is is adjusting the truth in cinema even towards a viewpoint that I agree with a good idea, Mm -hmm. um, then that's when the enjoyment sort of pedals away. Right. So, yeah. Well, because because I think my point is I have no issue with with uh adjusting tr- with like uh the adjustment bureau so to speak the matt damon film uh <laughs> where, where someone's just coming and placing a hat on your head and changing the reality of, as you understand it um no i have no problem with the adjustment of truth to fit a narrative and i think 
Sorkin himself, you know, like uh, in his screenplays, particularly Moneyball and The Social Network, and even the Steve Jobs film, uh, you know, has done that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's without question what he does. And in many cases, what he does well. I think, you know, The Social Network is a great example of a completely fabricated narrative that fits uh, uh, a storytelling end really beautifully. And the thing is that that storytelling end rings truthful in that film. Um, you know, like, I, I think what I'm, what I'm talking about is like, whether a film feels convincingly hermetically sealed. So the truth within its own framework feels convincing. Do you and, think this movie broke rules it set up? No, I don't think it broke rules. I just don't, okay. think was, I, I don't think the truth that it, it aims for is convincing, which is, I don't, I, I think fundamentally when I watch the trial, and when I take time to think about what the trial represents and, you know, in a way, the political circus that this was, I, I, I think back on what Terry Gilliam says about Schindler's List, which is Terry Gilliam says the problem with Schindler's List is that the Holocaust is a tragedy and Schindler's List is ultimately a triumph. And I love Schindler's List, by the way. Um, I think what he's saying, though, is that in a sense, what I'm sort of grasping onto for this particular film is that I watch and think about the trial of the Chicago 7 or the Chicago 8, depending on, you know, if you want to see Bobby yep. Seale included in that, as a tragedy and an ultimate failing of American democracy. And Bobby Seale being uh, gag and bound on the... On the um, uh, in a courtroom for several days, by the way, not just the one day that it's represented right. here, not just for a few moments, but for several days on end, ultimately in of itself is manifestly a tragedy. And it is a, tra and it is a, it is, it is a representation of, of failure. And that's not what this film kind of lands on. This film lands on we, this, this political, this, this, this trial is a political trial and it is a circus, but ultimately we triumphed because we, we were able to say what we wanted to say about the Vietnam War, which is the, the final scene. Mm -hmm. um, and that rings untrue to me about what we've just seen. Well, I, uh, I can't say if I agree or not uh, with that sort of statement because in the, in the world that the movie is setting up, mm -hmm. not necessarily the historical truthiness version, but the, the, the Sorkin-ness version of it all, they did triumph. Now, granted, they that, triumph. Hold on, they triumph in the end through uh, getting charged, and then uh, the appeals court getting them a new trial, and then the state never charging them, which then sort of never doing the next trial, which then means they win, even though they only the only case they had they lost. Like like the the way it is framed comes off as a victory. And I think in the in the popcorn munching world that this film sets up, I have no problem with that. If I'm looking at this from a um like I still get both sides of 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 the 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 tragedy and the triumph of it. I, I think the what's interesting is the Schindler's List comparison is apt because Schindler's List obviously Holocaust, yeah, big, big player. Um but here in particular, the Vietnam War is a backdrop 
we see none of the Vietnam War, not that we should. And there's really only one character who keeps reminding us that this is about the Vietnam War. Like, because the characters are so larger than life as portrayed, again, with the wordiness of a Sorkin script. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> by the time we do get to the end, uh, and I'll start spoiling things now, um, and they use their final, like, moment of, like, you can say what you want before I commence sentencing. Mm -hmm. They read the names off of the 4,000 and some change uh, soldiers that had died to while the trial had been going on in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I was actually surprised that they did it. And I had that moment of, oh, oh, that's awesome. But it wasn't something that I felt that was built to mm -hmm. because they, they, and they, and the characters even wrestle with this. Like one of them's like, this isn't about us. Hey, everyone, it's not about us. Yeah. And like, but the movie is all about them. So there's a weird, I, I get like 50% of what you are feeling. But I will say, I think the popcorniness of it all kind of kept me through it the entire way I, I i guess the the popcorniness of it and the truthiness of it didn't work for me and it's it's the it's the you know it's the it's the sorkian triumph of it all that that doesn't ring true to me which is the <laughs> the the everyone standing and the judge finally has no control over the crowd and you know the credits roll and the music swells and it's like no this doesn't really feel like <clears throat> the triumph of what has happened here because this feels like a moment that has been wrung out of history. And then when you go back and look at the history, of, this is a completely a moment that has been wrung out of history and that it didn't happen this way. The, 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 the names of the Vietnam veterans and, and interesting, the name of Viet Cong um, soldiers who were also killed um, was read for a moment uh, by Tom Hayden in a, a, at a, diff a very different moment, but was immediately stopped. Um, and, and in this case, it's rung out to be the triumph of saying what we want, uh, about the Vietnam war. And I, I found that that moment, particularly with the hand clapping, it's the, it's the sort of like the slow clap final moment of a baseball game kind of thing, um, that just felt false to me. And I, and I found most of the way through, I think, I think there's an interesting dialectic that's happening uh, between Tom Hayden and, and Abby Hoffman in this film. And it's, it's the kind of dialectic that, that Sorkin is really good at. It's, 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 these are both liberal, um, liberal thinkers who, who ultimately believe in the same thing, but are, are, are trying to do it in very different ways. Abby Hoffman yeah. is sort of, um, you know, acting as a, as a real revolutionary, you know, acting, you know, he's kind of like uh, the comedian and watchman in some ways, which is that he, he, he pokes <laughs> holes in the establishment. He less, fa less fascist, ah. obviously, but, but, but with the same sort of like poke <laughs> Fascism's a big thing with the comedian. So <laughs> poking holes at the, at the fabric of what is in front of him. And, and Tom Hayden's character, well played by Eddie Redmayne is really um, a believer in systemic change over time. You know, he's not the, 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 the sort of clownish revolutionary. He's like, right. no, we need to work within the system in order to, in order <clears throat> to get this work. And I think ultimately, you know, in a film like uh, A Few Good Men, where the film really is about rules versus common sense, you know, that's what those two characters are really battling about. You know, the, 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 the principles of the military versus the common sense of somebody died because of this. Um, the, the, the sort of mechanics of the, the, the Trial of the Chicago 7, which comes down to, you know, 
revolution versus systemic change doesn't really doesn't land in a powerful way for me it doesn't i i don't i don't feel that when abby hoff uh, abby hoffman says you know like hinges the entire uh discussion of of tom hayden's um uh culpability in the riots on the use of a pronoun um i don't find that 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 is the 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 particular message to take away from the trial you know no but it's not like that's again i i think this is interesting and i don't know how to i don't know how to phrase this none of those things are what this like all of the things you've just sort of described especially like the pronoun thing and like just like the way the ups and downs happen in this are so sorkin-esque mm. that like yeah i'm just sort of like used to them and, and they work because they're they're incredibly uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're incredibly convenient narrative devices often used in, I will again say, sort of B-cinema, le- lesser cinema. Mm-hmm. But because of the skill and the craft of the particular style of writing that Aaron Sorkin does, he can take these overly simplistic tools that a, a lesser creator would normally just bash together and we would all laugh at, or at least I would, <laughs> um, and uh, and then turn it into a moment where... I like it paved the road too well. Like I still understand that there's sinkholes. Like, and I can look back at the it, road it, and be it, like, "Oh man, I'm amazed that I made it across that road." Yeah. But I gotta tell you, in the moment, <laughs> I made it across the road. I guess. Like, I guess what's interesting about what you're saying is that you seem to be acknowledging that it's corny and it's not. Oh, it's a hundred percent corny. And it's not really. But it worked for you in the moment. But yes, post and, the moment, and, are you feeling differently about it? I still feel good about it. Like, again, and that's why I think my B-movie thing is apt. Like, I love Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta's <laughs> fucking terrible. I'm just amazed that it, you're it using is. Mortal Kombat and Jim Cotta as your comparison points for the trial of Chicago 7. But, like, and that's the weird part. That's why, that's why, it, 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 it's my emotional touch point to it. I can watch those films and be taken away by them and believe the world and go on the emotional journey and then finish it up. But if you want to have a discussion about, like, a mastercraft in cinema or filming techniques or story beats or like, you know, anything that like the building blocks of what would make a great movie. Great. None of them. Mortal Kombat. The trial of the Chicago seven. Well, yeah, isn't, I, I, isn't that what we do on this podcast? You know, like try to right, identify, but, I, but yeah. I feel like, but I feel, I, I, I feel like that's what we are doing. I am saying <laughs> like, I, uh, what, what did we, what did we watch recently that didn't connect? I'm trying to think of a, of something that like um, we just hated. Uh, okay. Oh, 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 let's keep going down the B movie train. Jujitsu. That movie was hot <laughs> Again, trash. Mortal Kombat, Jim Kata, and it... Jujitsu. Yep, <laughs> these, these are your are, touch points for this these movie. These are my touch points. <laughs> Jujitsu didn't work oh my God. for a plethora of reasons. <laughs> we, we talked about go listen to that episode. But this is not a jujitsu situation. <laughs> I should hope not in yeah, any way, I, shape, I or form. This is something that if you just let it wash over you, and I'm saying you, but I'm saying me, which I did, I really enjoyed. But and I, let, we've been dancing around the Aaron Sorkinness for yeah. a bit. Should we get into that? Because I feel like that's going to be a lot of the cruxes, uh, the, the multitude of cruxes that we will have to sort of put our opinions on. 
All right. Well, let's, I mean, let's just backtrack into, you know, just talk very briefly about Aaron Sorkin is, uh, you know, a sort of a young uh, playwright who seemed to take the world by storm with his first feature, uh, you know, his first writing uh, credit, uh, A Few Good Men. Although I believe he wrote Malice before that, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, yeah, if Malice. If only there was, was a machine connecting yeah. many computers that could tell you the No, answer. no, no. Actually, actually, A Few Good Men first, uh, which is based on a play that he wrote uh, as a young man. Uh, you know, a terrific Rob Reiner movie. Uh, everyone can quote, uh, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth everybody knows that um, also that would not be the name of our sitcom the the a few, a, good, a few good men no we'd be a few dumb men yeah. i don't know two I, dumb men <laughs> two dumb queens <laughs> two anyway. dumb queens <laughs> two dumb for queens and i think you know like uh, sorkin himself has been tied to a particular I, I think what people kind of mistake about sorkin is qualifying his politics as being entirely liberal politics and therefore a representation of liberal politics. And this is easy to do, to do when the man has written an entire tele, you know, five series uh, you know, television show about the inner workings of the White House and the West Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I've never seen, by the way. I've never seen the West Wing. It is glorious. It is, it is, it is, <laughs> it, it really truly is one of the most glorious television shows ever to be put for screen. And it is, it has the highest highs you will ever experience. And like the first episode is just probably one of the greatest first episodes of television ever written, uh, without okay. a doubt. Um, and then it, it eventually slips into the lowest sort of silliness that you can kind of imagine at point. <laughs> sure. However, what kind of holds it together is, is, is Sorkin's underlying nostalgia for a world that I think was created by either... Um, uh, Preston Sturges or um, uh, 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 who am I thinking of here? The um, uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington director. Um, um, oh, uh, <laughs> sorry. Whenever I hear Mr. Smith goes to Washington, I think of a, of a fake uh, film school thing that one of my uh, kids in my film class did called Mr. Ketchup goes to Washington. Mr. Ketchup uh, goes to Washington. Well, no, it's not Mr. Ketchup goes to Washington. It's a Frank. Like his politics is informed by old Hollywood. You know, like it, yes. it's it's the sort of it, it is liberal by its nature because old Hollywood has... Frank Carpa? Uh, Cap- Capra. Frank Capra. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is informed by the, the nostalgia for old Hollywood ideals of liberalism, which is that good will ultimately triumph over evil. And if we just uh, allow the the most rational voices to speak, eventually truth will manifest itself. Um, I think that's kind of ultimately what underlines a lot of Sorkin's work. Um, But what's great about Sorkin is when you get two films like The Social Network um, and Steve Jobs, which are handled by David Fincher and Danny Boyle, respectively, who I think can can both undermine and draw out those that that sort of sorkinness in the best possible way, which is that it is not absolutely saccharine, but it is imbued with a sense of truth. Aaron Sorkin, the director in The Trial of the Chicago 7, I think doesn't have that same ability to recognize the moments when we need to rein in the Sorkinness. I think there's a letterbox review which uh, which I read, which is which said it's a real shame that such a talented writer Aaron Sorkin has to work with such an average director Aaron Sorkin. Um, and and I think I, I I look without without sort of bringing his his work down. I think I think everything he does here is is working well, but I think he amplifies 
the worst parts of his own screenplay through the way the story is, is constructed. And I, it's a real shame because, again, Sorkin is fantastic. I am a, I am a big fan. And I do... There are moments... There are moments in The West Wing, Moneyball, A Few Good Men, The Social Network, Steve Jobs that are exactly what you're describing, which is that I can I can see the mechanics at play, but I love it. And I'm like, give me more of this. Give me, you know, that, that moment, the, 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 um, you want the truth, you know, like, and the, the reason why that moment is so good is the next, the next scene between the two soldiers in A Few Good Men, where they say, no, the, you know, like, the problem was, is we should have done the right thing. And we didn't, we didn't look after our, you know, our, our fellow man. And it's like, like, that's a moment that really, there's an under, there's an understanding of, the truth versus the reality of the situation. And in this case, this sort of triumphant ending with like people clapping and even um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character standing up and saying, well, you know, we got to pay respect to, to the, you know, like it all, you know, and the music swelling and like, I'm like, oh God, guys. She here, that's, that's just what's called a happy ending. It's a happy ending undermined by the reality of the situation we've just spent two hours watching. Well, there's, but that's the thing. This is, uh, this again, I go back to B movie tropes <laughs> and, and, and mileage I think will vary on this film based on how much you like, uh, I'll call them traditionally weaker films. Um, but I, I guess what I'm trying to get at with you is, is w what are you suggesting here that, that, that you're, that the, the averageness, averageness of it is okay and possible? Is that is that kind of where you're coming from? I'm saying in the moment I didn't experience it as average. Mm -hmm. I'm saying in the moment I experienced it as something I really, really liked. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of things like cinema that we don't maybe talk about enough is like it is okay to just like a thing Let me even though, even though upon further inspection – it's not as great as your initial sort of emotional reaction to the thing. I, I can I can appreciate that. I, I guess maybe my question to you is, um, how do you think some? How do you think the Bobby Seal story reconciles with the end of this film? It doesn't. That's the thing. I mean, look, they 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 use Bobby Seal as a. Um, as a moment, how do I put this? As a moment of like, it's funny because they, they 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 frame it as the time when they're like, oh, this is insane. But like the whole thing's been insane. This is just like a very visual indicator of of the of the the farcity of this courtroom. Mm -hmm. Um, but once. Once he's gone from that trial, once they sort of switched him out, like his story felt very separate from everyone else's. I guess maybe um, that's the problem is that his story well, is it's, part it's, of the, the circus of how terrible this it, was. It is. But the way that it's presented in this movie, and again, I can't I, I'm not an expert on the historical accuracy of, of specific moments, but the way it's presented is he's always telling everyone. He has nothing to do with this. Mm. The movie is showing us he has nothing to do with this. There are through lines that, again, 
are not the most evenly balanced things, but it's still, the movie is showing me what is important when it is important. And with the characters in those moments telling me, this is important, this connects, this doesn't. So the, sh the film is mirroring what the character is doing. So I didn't in the moment mind that like, his thing was went through and then it was pushed aside. Now, again, from a historical accuracy perspective, and would I want to, like, show this in a classroom? Fuck no. <laughs> but, like, th that's not really what we're debating here. We're debating on whether or not the, the, the connectivity of the narrative worked for us. I think it did, again, because it leans on simple tropes to do it. Um, but... Like, yeah, this is the, the, the connective tissue is not there, but they call out that it's not there. Like, I don't know. I, I, um, I, I guess, I guess the only thing I'm saying is I, I, I don't feel convinced by your argument because it also sounds like you're saying the movie is not great. Oh, it's interesting because I'm not trying to convince you. Yeah. The movie isn't great, but I really liked it. <laughs> Okay. Like I, I, I cannot fault you on any point you have made. I'm not trying to convince you. Right. Um, listeners, if you've watched it, I am not trying to convince you either. I'm trying to describe my journey in watching this movie and try to figure out why it is I'm okay with some mediocrity that is definitely aimed at me. And it goes back to Oscar bait. <laughs> this movie is bait for both the Oscars and kind of for me, mm -hmm. liberal viewpoints. Turning history's frown upside down. Being really smart and quick-witted. Throwing in Michael Keaton. Like, there's a lot of different stuff <laughs> that this movie does that is designed for me to like it. I, I um, Yeah, but here, I, we, like, we've had a whole conversation about Oscar bait, and I, I, I can... I know, we don't have to continue. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about something else that sounds a little more fun. You ready, Sheer? Mm -hmm. Porn. Oh okay. Okay. So we got. Wait. Hang on. Just just so I can catalog. Yeah, keep the catalog. It's, it's you can use Mortal your Kombat, toes if you need to. Jim Carter, Jujitsu, and now porn. Yes. In relation to the trial of the Chicago Seven. You got it. Okay. Well, the film, the <laughs> film, not the actual court case. Um, porn represents sexual activity that is in no way realistic. Okay. 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 I'm with you. So but far. there are but there are enjoyable elements of this completely fantasized pornography <laughs> that people engage in. Is is the most can, generous can, take can, of what you're saying that that the liberal porn that that, that the trial of Chicago seven the film by Aaron Sorkin is liberal porn? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Makes you feel good. Doesn't feel real. <laughs> Does it make uh, you feel a little sad afterwards? Like when you've when you've when you've expelled your your joy juices? When we're <laughs> that's wow, a quote weird. from uh, um, uh, Boogie Nights, by the way. <laughs> No, thanks. Um, <laughs> Just not to say I don't walk around saying joy juices a lot. <laughs> you say it worse things. Uh, uh, to be honest, I guess a little bit like upon reflection, but also that would that would um, that would also like uh, uh, if I did feel truly like bad about it, that would mean I had some shame in enjoying it. And I don't have any shame in enjoying the trial of the Chicago <laughs> seven. Like I, I, I don't. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I think maybe associating the shame of, of uh, pornography uh, with the trial of Chicago seven is probably a little too far, but then again, I'm not the one who brought up pornography. Well, I, I'm not <laughs> trying to, I'm not trying to put the shame of pornography. This, this, this trial of Chicago seven <laughs> is porn that I am not ashamed of liking. Right. I, I think, I, you know what it is? I, I was thinking about a couple of other films that we reviewed, which is a film, uh, like, for example, a film like Black Klansman, which is a mm. film that I think kind of um, has had its uh, historical accuracy being debated. Um, 
um, uh, many times over, but I think it's a film that kind of understands the power of its final moments and uses those final moments to not only render a verdict on the events preceding it, but also bring the, the greater truth to everything that we've seen before. I think I walk away from the trial of Chicago seven going, well, well, I'm glad that that's over and you know, everything returned to normal and finally, you know, truth saw the way, but I live in a world where that's not the case and watch understandable. And, and, and watching the film. I go, that's also not the case in this film. Understandable. Uh, but know? the, 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 it's funny. I actually while I respect the decision of Black Klansman's ending, mm-hmm. I also feel like that was a different piece of media we just watched. Right. Like, well, I, not I feel unlike like Jim end... Carter and Mortal Kombat and Jiu-Jitsu. No, 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 right? no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misspeaking or, or you're misunderstanding me. I'm saying the the full film of Black Klansman and the end of Black Klansman, while while uh, in the narrative sense it ties it together, the two bits stylistically do not mesh whereas i will say even though mileage may vary with the super saccharine clapping at the end little boy's proud of his dad like that sort of thing in this aaron sorkin uh pornography fest um it does actually work because it's been porn the whole way through like I was not surprised by the tone of the ending. I was I was huh. lulled into a sense of security through and through that this would present a very complex d- m- m- issue filled with minutia in a nice it took all the rough edges and paved right over it. It was you know what it was? It was like water skiing. What? Okay, well, I, this this episode has nearly gone off the rails right now. Hang on. Hey, everyone, you get real esoteric on your second vaccine shot. So, okay, so, like, if you just, like, are dragged behind a boat without water skis, right, okay. you're just going to bounce all over the place, and it's going to suck. Like, there's nothing smooth to hit. You're just smashing into the waves, and you're probably going to bruise or break something. But the second you strap water skis to your feet and you allow – the, the friction to be moved underneath you and you sort of come above and just ride the waves, it's a much smoother experience. <laughs> I think that's a long way, long way of saying just go with it, right? Like that's, yeah, man. <laughs> just go with it, bro. Come it's on. Just, and cool. it's, not, it's, not, it's not just go with it. It's the movie sets you up to just go with it. I'm not saying ignore all the problems. I'm right. saying the movie does a lot of work for you to ignore all the problems. Shahir, I will say... Your critical eye worked against you in the in the enjoyment I, I, of this film. I, I, I don't think it worked against me at all. I think I think it worked exactly to to read my emotion, my my feelings about this film as I think it should be read. That is true. <laughs> you, but you get you you like me get a perverse enjoyment out of unliking something. So, <laughs> I mean, I think a film, for example, a more appropriate uh, reference point would be Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs, written by Aaron Sorkin, where the conclusion of that film suggests that the that the the making of the Apple iPod was to satisfy his daughter's need to have the entire um, um, uh, body of work by the Beatles on a single source, right? That's- well, thanks for spoiling that movie for me because I never saw <laughs> you it. You never saw it. Well, you know the story of Steve Jobs at any rate. Uh, it's oh, a- get turtlenecks. <laughs> his turtle turtlenecks. Uh, I wish he had chains because then he could be part of the Lonely Island. Um, but, <laughs> but unfortunately, um, more stuff. Um, and Steve Jobs is a film that plays completely with the fabric of historiosity in every way, shape, or form, where you go, these scenes don't... You know, I know for a fact that many of the the construction of these scenes and the way that these scenes have been formed together 
are not the way things happen. However, that is a story which sets me up for that for specifically the the type of ending that that film offer that the that that film offers. I'm saying watching Bobby Seal get bo- duct taped in the mouth, watching um uh um Ramsey Clark appear and say this is actually this is fundamentally a political witch hunt. Watching the the sort of the oddly juxtaposed assassination of both Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy Jr. at the start and talk about the political turmoil that they're in. And then to frame the ending of this as a triumph when we live in 2020 and this is still the world we live in does not ring true to me. Uh, Not only for the world that the film is setting up, but also the world that I live in. And But it, it rings true to me. In the world that the film sets up, it's it's overcoming these things that obviously in the real world we didn't overcome. Mm-hmm. Granted, it talks about an actual small victory that they kind of got maybe a little bit, but depends on which end card you're reading. Like the, the this movie, I'm saying, yeah, it does. It sets you up and shows you a lot of dark things. But the way the entire thing is presented as a whole piece of media does set you up and smooth your water skiing way to knowing that what the ending is going to be. And therefore, I was OK with that in the moment of watching it. That's not how history is. That's not how the world we live in. I also don't care like uh, like because I know that like, you know, you know what it might be. This is actually kind of interesting. Because I'm of where we are, the, right I'm now. waiting for the most lift field reference here. No, actually, there's no reference. I'm so sorry. I'm going to end this on a on a on a realistic note. It's like the coronavirus. Um, no, because it will. In well, a way, a, there's a delightful thing to talk about. We're both. We're both. Um, I think reacting to this film in the fucking post-COVID 2021 that we live in. You are having a, and, and, and I don't think either of us is um, correct. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a correct thing here because we're talking about how we experienced a thing. Agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> Listen, uh, I can't. I'll, we're gonna be doing Mortal Kombat soon, and then we can disagree a lot. But I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the, I'm gonna play the, the role of uh, Switzerland and just sort of uh, try to, try to be friendly toward everyone. Um. You, you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. This, do, this doesn't ring true to you because you feel like it doesn't set us up or like it feels too disparate in its moments uh, to sort of get to that saccharine ending. But also that does sort of play into where we are in a society because you have brought it up a couple times, which again is totally fine. You've brought up like, well, this isn't a triumph because look where we are. That's not what the movie is saying, but we it's, we can't we it's hard to divorce ourselves from that, especially now seeing how fucked up everything is, um, and and so I totally get that, and that a hundred percent. If if people did not connect with this movie and had that total read, I understand, and I I am I am there for that. For me, I was I I don't know I just and I I do kind of put this back to my pension for. I'll even say it, lesser films. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the, the tropes that those movies engage with, the shortcuts that they take, I like and am used to. I, I, I enjoy that thing. I can I can let it be the water ski or whatever other fucking analogy I want to do for it, and I can take it the, the entire way through. Does that mean the film uh, is a great movie? Absolutely not. Does it mean the film knows what it's doing for a specific type of audience? I, I think it does. 
And and therefore, I mean, I might even be going back to let's see if I can connect all three of my analogies. <laughs> so I did Mortal Kombat, I did water skiing porn. Oh, well, not every porn's for everybody, right? <laughs> like there's so many different genres of porn. Um that oh that that this of course isn't gonna be for everybody. But this this particular <laughs> brand of liberal water skiing uh B movie action film porn. Uh, I think actually works for me. If that's not a final thought from a madman, uh, <laughs> I don't know what is, and that's what I'm going to end it with. I'll let you have the the, the the final word on that. If you can decrypt that, that'd be great. I, I don't think I can decrypt that uh, in any way that's going to be meaningful, other than I appreciate that you like what you like, and, and I think what you're suggesting here is that this is a B movie? This is a schlocky B movie that played to the to the audience that you kind of thought it would play. Yeah, to. it's a well made B movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's also a movie that's nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Um, and I mean, it shouldn't win. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it shouldn't win. <laughs> it may very well. Who knows? Um, and uh, I think the 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 problem with all of that it's funny because the argument for and against oscar bait for example is something that i would i think i could level at this movie in the way that you would but i hate that term because it's so dismissive of the labor involved in putting this together and it's dismissive of all the labors of everyone's involved i mean is it though yeah it is it really is is. it it is because it's also suggesting that there's like an ulterior motive to why this was made and and i don't believe that um so i think fundamentally fundamentally the problem here is that Sorkin has demonstrated in his writing, and I haven't seen his other directorial um, work, Molly's Game, yet, but he's demonstrated in his writing to understand the nature of, of what triumph means in the face of truly terrible events. So in mm-hmm. the case of um, A Few Good Men, you know, the killing of a soldier uh, while on a marine drill, uh, you know, as a, as a sort of marine drill, is while the... the um, while the two soldiers are uh, ultimately released from the responsibilities, they are dishonorably discharged. So we get this sort of like push and pull of, yes, we're free because we are not responsible for the actions of our, of our, uh, our colonel, but we should have done the right thing. And, and there's none of that kind of nuance in this story of a complex political machination that happened in 1968, which ultimately speaks to the to the the political turmoil that we were in in 1968 and that we still live through to, to today instead it frames it as a triumph and it's not and it doesn't feel like a triumph as i watch it and it doesn't ring true as i watch it and that for me is the underlying problem there is great filmmaking at, at display here aaron sorkin when he gets two people in a room together, there are very few people who can write the interaction between two human beings that is both sophisticatedly driven by ideology and ideas, as well as crackling dialogue where two people really feel like they're exchanging ideas, you know, like conversation between themselves. But also, no human speaks like an Aaron Sorkin script. Of course. At that, all, but, ever. But that's what makes him so masterful, is that yeah, no human... that's what makes it porn. No, no human beings speak like, like Aaron Sorkin films, but in on film, they do, and it rings true. Like, that's what makes it so good. Like, like um, the, the president in the West Wing, played by Martin Sheen, I forget, I forget the president's name, uh, is so good at standing up and pontifying that it is like, like you say, liberal porn, where you're like... I really do wish the smartest person in the room was just the president. You know, like the person who's who's able to cut through all the crap was the president. But 
there are several moments in that show where that is underscored and 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 under and undermined. And I think this it really is the ending for me really left a sour note in my mouth about the entire experience. And it's like, it's, you know, like you've talked about sticking the landing. This is a movie Mm -hmm. that ultimately crashes the landing um, right out the airport. And, and, and I just, I'm kind of left with going, huh, what do I make of the entirety of of this experience? And I think as, as a political text, I think it, it kind of fails to, um, to reconcile what the, the trial of the Chicago 7 actually meant as well as how it reflects upon today's society as, as, as a piece of uh, cinematic writing or, or screenwriting. I think it fails internally in its, own, in its own depictions of what is a triumph in this film because I don't feel triumphant by the end of it. I feel icky uh, more than anything. But wait, so why do you feel icky? Because I don't, because- feel, I don't feel that that moment is earned by the movie. I really don't. I fundamentally think that that moment is earned by a completely different movie that we hadn't just watched. Weird. Okay. Um, and and so I, I while I can appreciate the sort of craftsmanship at play here, I just think this film fundamentally doesn't work. Um, and it's a real shame because I think this is a you know a great um, a great story to be mine. There have been several stories. I actually went off and I watched. Um, I think it was Jeremy Kramer. Oh, I'll have to pull. Uh, pull up the film is called conspiracy and you can actually uh, conspiracy the trial of the chicago eight and it's uh, got elliot gould and robert lagosia and it's it's really mm. great uh it's basically like again retelling the court tra- testimony with like interviews and it's it's really old-fashioned but it's like the chaos in that movie is kind of amazing um mm. and it, it it renders the 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 sort of trial in a much more sort of like we are experiencing the madness of, of the American political system at play. And I, I, I guess it's not that I want that film, I, I want Aaron Sorkin's version to be that film, but I found that film much more compelling than this one. I mean, well, that would lead us to believe that you, you would rather that. No, I'm just saying I don't think Aaron Sorkin's film, whatever the version is that he is trying to tell, works. And I, you know, I think there well, are Well, you'd other... want it to work, right? I wanted to work it worked for you and it worked for you in the in the sort of in the simplest way but i don't think it does which is fine i'm just saying but you just said like you don't want to change aaron sorkin's film to work in the same way that the other film did but you would have because you would have wanted to enjoy it well it doesn't matter i'm going off on a tangent yeah yeah, you're you're Um, misplacing enjoyment for uh analysis uh, so, so I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on, on mm. this little, on this little beastie. Again, I would not, uh, go to bat for many of the things, uh, that, that are sort of, uh, wrong with this, but I do think, uh, overall, uh, I did enjoy the film and I do think, I do think the, uh, the ending, the ending of this movie was the ending to the movie that I watched, um, it, it, both both structurally narratively uh emotional through linely and and just sort of like expectational wise i just i it it went exactly where i thought it would it's not a surprise mm. um but that's okay look the, the great thing about movies and rewriting history is none of us have to agree on it <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, I guess this has been the only podcast about the film The Trial of the Chicago 7. I would like to uh, mention one quick... I meant to bring this up at the beginning. It had nothing to do with the movie, but it does have to do with Netflix, because this (laughs) is a Netflix film. Did you hear the news today, Shahir? Uh, Knives Out has certainly gotten a little payday, and I think uh, several years ago, when we talked about um, The Last Jedi, I think the thing I said on that episode was... I really, there's a part of me that is saddened by the idea of Ryan Johnson going off and directing three more Star Wars movies when mm-hmm. I want to see original Ryan Johnson's works. Uh, works, And today I feel like that is happening. What's happening? So uh, Ryan Johnson has been greenlit for, I think, two sequels for Knives yep. Out that uh, are going to be funded by Netflix. Uh, yep. And I think that's wonderful because it's in a you yeah. know uh, it's it's something uniquely Ryan John like whatever you think of Knives Out uh, and I like it a lot is uh, that is such a uniquely Ryan Johnson film. I 100% agree. So the reason I asked was I couldn't tell where you landed on the happy or sad coin because technically it is Ryan Johnson getting railroaded into a thing. Granted, it is Ryan Johnson's thing, mm-hmm. but it could I, I could have seen you flipping on the other side of that coin too, so I didn't quite know where you were landing. No, no, like go back and listen to The Last Jedi. I think the thing that I thought was that Ryan Johnson, like, you know, he makes a great movie. And the, the, no, exactly. the, the you... saddest part about The Last Jedi for me is that I was like I, in, a, in a world that I was losing so much interest in. Sure. All right, fair enough. Um, Shahir, when you are not forgetting to watch porn while doing jujitsu on water skis, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me knee deep soaked in toilet paper, uh, as I'm water skiing for some reason, uh, on my website, <laughs> www.shahir.com. There is a longer reason train of thought that was going into that metaphor, Don't but worry it didn't about quite, it. I didn't quite get think there. about it. Don't think about Matt, it. Matt, when you are taking us on a tangent uh, that is basically uh, a space shuttle into another galaxy, where can people find you? You can find me surfing my own personal reality to its maximum potential over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, on Instagram, or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. Uh, I believe uh, we, uh, by the time this comes out last week, we will have released our uh, Evil Races Are Bad Game Design video, <laughs> um, which uh, is a very uh, by, by wonderful writer, James Mendez-Hodes, um, uh, which I urge you to check out. Also, what else is coming out? Oh, we were just done our Lies episode where Rob, our extra history writer, goes on and tells you everything we got wrong um, about about the previous episodes that we've done. It's very, very Would good. Would you wish that uh, uh, Aaron Sorkin did that for this film? A live episode would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that'd be fun. Uh, by fun, I mean depressing. Um, Shahir, what's up next week? Uh, I believe we're going to take a uh, another detour into the Oscar race by looking at the film that probably the least amount of people have seen. Uh, do you remember- Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, do you remember the, I think it was the 2008 Oscars when Hugh Jackman got up on stage, Hugh Jackman was hosting and he did a song about every film and then he mm-hmm. got to the reader and he was like, the reader... I haven't seen The Reader. I hear it's really good, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) I feel like that's going to be Florian. Is it Florian Zeller's film, The Father, which is what we're going to be reviewing next week for a lot of people. Okay. Uh, But it is available on VOD now. I know nothing about it. It is the first film. Uh, I hear Anthony Hopkins is magnificent in it. We are doing it because we are whores for the clicks.
Uh, and oh, oh, wait, you think the father's going to get us clicks? Yeah, the, the father's going to... We're doing it because it's in the Oscar race. Like, that's really we, the reason we're doing we it, We right? are working <laughs> the wrong direction if <laughs> yeah. that's where we are going. And again, uh, that brings me back to bro, the reason the title for our sitcom should be Two Dumb Queens. <laughs> you're a terrible human being. <laughs> what a, I am what I am. <laughs> Anywho, everybody, thanks so much for talking with us or listening to us talk to each other to you i don't know the right sign off it doesn't make sense it's not like you know thanks for the conversation I, I can thank you Shahir, for the conversation well I, th- I appreciate that matt thank you for the conversation as well listeners thanks for listening thanks for lending us your ear holes for this wonderful hour and some change that you'll never get back are we porn for podcasting listeners is that what we are think about it don't think about it we should do some asmr right now No, (laughs) not for free.